This is Miss Panther, the one that donated. Growing up, how good a kid were you on a scale of one to ten? One being. On the scale of one to perfectly holy, and one being holy terror. How would you rate your obedience? One being what? Holy terror. Holy terror? Another one being what? Uh huh. A ten being uh, perfectly holy. Perfectly holy. Ten being perfectly holy, and one being a holy terror. What? What is zero? <laughs> Zero, it's <laughs> honey, you just flush the toilet and you go yeah, down. Right. <laughs> I think no. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. we. I'd say I was about a three, maybe a two. I was a pretty bad kid. I'd say I was a. I was a one. One? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was a one. A holy terror? Oh, I, I was definitely a holy terror. <laughs> Uh, two, I would say about it. I, I would think I was a one too. Yeah, I was a tear in the night. and <laughs> mercy. I was a. I was a one. Oh come on. I was such a mommy's girl, and I was always wanting to clean. And so I'm gonna go about. A, I was probably about a six seven because I was following mom and cleaning and helping cook and cleaning after my dad. I was, I was that little girly girl. To, I was, I'll be honest. Afraid I saw trouble. what happened. <laughs> I was afraid to get in trouble. <laughs> Pure fear kept me in line. Yep. Yeah. That was probably in the lower numbers too, but again, fear, I didn't want to get in trouble. I knew it was going to happen, but it still happened. I had the honor sister. I saw what happened. <laughs> Do you think that you changed over time, or did you get better or worse as you got older, or? <laughs> well, you know, you know, after you got now, of course, you done got better. But you know, at the beginning, you got worse and worse and worse. <laughs> How many buttons can I push on Mom's radar? Dad's radar. <laughs> I didn't even get better until I turned into my twenties. Yeah. I have a good idea. Yeah. How good of a kid are you, Missy? Um, are you a well, one or a ten? Well, I was a little baby in my mom's tummy. You were. <laughs> and then I and then I was grown and then I turned four. Some days she's a six, and other days she's a two, and other days she's a one. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have my next shot. Yeah. When you're 11. Yeah. All right. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 22. It's glazy. I'm glazy. Don't worry. He doesn't have a donut. Hmm? He doesn't have a donut. Did my husband have a donut? He is already. I said this. He doesn't have a donut. Well, for the, for the context, we'll start with 21. Somebody what you say? 20, Ephesians 1, not 5. Chapter 5. Yeah. We'll verse. start with 21 to the end of the chapter, and then we'll look at chapter 6, verse 9. Okay. okay Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Right there? Yeah. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord, as 
to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the, of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. <laughs> For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father, his mother, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Is that it? Or move, keep going. We're going to go uh, chapter 6, till verse 9. Okay. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as man pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing services service as the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no part partiality with him. That's it? Okay.
5 and the first part of Ephesians 6, Paul is going to take three very common relationships, marriage, family, workplace relationships, the kind that you observe um, here eating together at, at, a, at a diner like this one. And he explains that these relationships are like, are like laboratories that God has created in order to, to make us more like himself. And here's the main idea I want us to grab a hold of uh, in this chapter 5 and first part of chapter 6. That is that God uses our most normal day-to-day relationships to, to really do two things. One is to teach us about himself and to make us more like himself. And the other is to, to, to put his character on display for, for a watching world. Let's, let's start with this first example. God uses marriage, Paul says in Ephesians 5.32, to teach us about his love for us. In verse 32, Paul explains that, that God designed marriage specifically for that purpose. Well, how does marriage teach us about God's love? Well, in, in at least three ways, Paul seems to indicate here. Number one, marriage gives us a taste of God's beauty. C.S. Lewis said that, that based on this passage, that we all see marriage. So we all see the, the good parts of romantic love, like a, like a ray of, of the sunshine that you know comes and it warms our face. And we, we look back up along the ray to the sun from which it emanates. He said the point is not the ray itself. The point is to direct you back up to, to the sun that is the source of all these things. That's what marriage does. It gives us a picture of a love that every human being was created for and that we yearn for. A desire to be fully known and fully loved. You see, to be known but not loved is, is rejection. But to be loved but not known, that's, that's just sentimentality. We want somebody to, to really know us, to see us, the real us, you know, warts and all, and to love us unconditionally. Marriage gives us a, a shadow of that kind of love, but, but God's love is the unfailing reality behind it. God's love is the sun that the beams of marriage lead us back to. Secondly, marriage is going to give us a picture of, of God's image, which is, is unity and plurality. Paul explains here in chapter 5, drawing all the way back from the, the creation narratives of, of Genesis 2, that God gave the man and the woman different roles. He created them differently, different roles to play in marriage. And in so doing, they, they reveal God to the world and they learn to be more like God themselves. In verse 23, Paul says that the husband is... He plays the role of the head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church and is himself its savior. Genesis shows us at least four ways that the man was to be the, to be the leader. Uh, he was, number one, to, to provide for her. Before God created the woman, he had the man working in the garden. You know, girls, if you can't hold down a job and he lives in his mama's basement and plays video games all day, then you ought to run away from him. Second, he was to, to lead her spiritually. When, when she was created, he already had a relationship with God that she was brought into. He was supposed to tell her about the commands that God had given and, and to lead her in obeying them. Paul reminds us of that here in Ephesians 5, verse 26, when he tells us when he tells the husband, it is, it is your role to help your wife live faultless before God. Thirdly, the, the man was to take the lead in romance. The first um, recorded human words um, in the Bible are Adam composing a love poem about his wife. He was to be the one taking initiative in romancing his wife. Finally, he, he was to lead in sacrifice. He was to love her, Paul says, like Christ loves the church, which meant laying down his, his life for her, putting her needs above his own, whether we're talking about him taking a bullet for her or simply letting her choose what restaurant they go to eat at. It's the kind of leadership that, that constantly asks, how can I serve you? You see, the crown he wears is, is first and foremost one of thorns like Jesus wore. In doing this and leading this way, 
he'll both learn to, to love like Jesus and he'll he'll look like Jesus to others who are watching. Now, to the wife, Paul says, you are to reflect Jesus in how you submit to that leadership. Now, I, I realize submission can be a, a flashpoint word, so let's be clear. Submission, when Paul uses it here, does not imply that she's inferior. Hey, here, here's how we know that. Jesus was fully equal to the Father, yet he submitted himself to the Father. Jesus' submission did not imply any inferiority on his part. So if it was not an assault on Jesus' dignity to do that, it's not an assault on the, on the wife's dignity to do that either. Uh, on the contrary, submitting cheerfully actually makes you more like God. Nor does submission imply the dominance of the man as if she exists as a serf in his house just to cater to his whims. Keep in mind, the husband is told first to lay down his life for his wife. When you think about it, he, he kind of has the harder job. If I'm the kind of leader uh, of my wife that I should be, most of the disagreements in my house I should lose voluntarily. Uh, as I said, my leadership ought to be characterized by that one question, how can I serve you? What submission means is that she allows him to lead under the leadership of God, never contrary to it, under God's leadership, giving him the cheerfulness and support that she would give even to Jesus himself. In so doing, she, she learns the humility of Jesus, and she gives to the world a picture of the submission and the humility of Jesus. Here's the third way marriage was to teach us about God and His love. Uh, marriage gives us a picture of God's grace. You see, when you're, you really live up close with somebody, you end up seeing a lot of their flaws. Now, I know from firsthand experience, when you get engaged, you think that you are marrying somebody perfect. They're an angel. And then after a couple of years of marriage, you're like, wow, how did they keep that hidden while we were dating? When that happens, when you get that disappointment of, of this person not being perfect, a lot of people then, they, they, they turn away, they divorce, and they feel justified in doing so because they say, you were supposed to make me happy, and you didn't keep up your end of the contract, so I'm out. But here's the question. What if God's main intention in marriage was not to make you happy by giving you a perfect mate, but to teach you to love like Jesus by giving you an imperfect mate that you could learn to forgive like he forgave you? Marriage, you see, is supposed to be gospel reenactment where you love and live with somebody in grace like Jesus loves and, and lives with you. And in so doing, you're going to learn more about the grace of God yourself, and you're going to give a picture of the grace of God to, to your children and to a watching world. So that's example number one that Paul uses marriage. That's, that's his main illustration in these verses. But there are two more that we can go through pretty quickly. Chapter 6, Paul talks about children and, and their parents. He says, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents of the Lord, for this is right. Children learn to obey God by obeying their parents. See how, how Paul ties their obedience to the Ten Commandments? In verse 2, he says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Interestingly, honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment. It's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Um, scholars tell us that the first four commandments are about our relationship to God. The last five commandments, the thou shalt not steal and kill, they're about our relationship to others. Well, right in the middle of those two sets of commandments is this one, the fifth commandment about honoring your father and mother because it, it hinges the two. You see, when we're young, our parents represent the authority of God to us. In a way, they kind of stand in for God in that first part of our lives. We first learn to obey and submit to God by obeying and submitting to them. When you're young and you're at home, how you submit to the authority of your mom and dad is really how you're submitting to God. Your relationship to your parents is a laboratory where you learn to submit to the authority of God. All right, Paul's final example, verse 5, is work, the workplace. 
He says, first five, servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Now, for the sake of these verses, let's read the word servants and masters as an employee and employer relationship. Paul is in no way condoning what we in the Western world would think of when we say slavery. Paul makes clear in many other places in the Bible the wickedness of, of that practice. Paul's focus here is on how we relate as Christians to our employers. He tells us to work for our employers, verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You see, our first audience in any assignment is God. I know that some of you are in jobs where, where your boss is a jerk. You're like, oh, he's unfair. I feel like my boss just owns me. Well, for some of the people to whom Paul is writing this letter, they were indentured servants, which meant their boss literally did own them. But even then, in that type of relationship, even when your boss really is unfair, Paul says, you're doing your work not for him or her, you're doing it for God. He is your first audience. Yeah. In every assignment, behind your earthly boss is your real boss, your heavenly yeah. boss. Paul says, do your work for him. The workplace is a laboratory where we learn to serve God with excellence in all things. He turns, verse 9, to the bosses, and he says, verse 9, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He's telling those of us who have power over others, use that power the way that God used his power in your life. Um, how did Jesus use his power? Jesus used his power to serve and rescue people. You see, there's two things that you can do with power. The world collects power to use for its own benefit. God gives away his power to serve others. So if you want to be like God, you use your power to serve, to lift up and forgive others, like God served, lifted up, and forgave you. You see, work can be a laboratory where you learn to, to serve like Jesus, to, to love like Jesus, to lead like Jesus, and to put Jesus on display for everyone to see. People ought to understand the grace and the love of the gospel just by watching you lead. Work itself, in many ways, can be gospel reenactment. So you see, as Paul nears the end of the book of Ephesians, he's trying to get the Ephesians to see that in all their relationships, even the most normal relationships, they're actually serving God and putting God on display. Each of our relationships is a laboratory to teach us to be like God and to allow us to put God on display for a watching world. I've heard it said that you can measure the progress of your Christian life by how well you relate to your parents, your spouse, or your employer. So let's stop there with that question. If you base your spiritual progress solely on how well you live it out at home or in the workplace, how do you think you're doing? Good stuff in there. It digs right in with uh, what? What does the last phrase of verse nine tell us about God? And, and it no, shows no favoritism between whom. So, chapter six, verse nine. What's the last?
you masters do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. What does the last phrase in there tell us about God? That God don't have, he's no respect of person. He don't have picks or favoritism or put one person over another person. Right. Amen. We're equal, right? Yes. Amen. Yes. We're all equal together. When Paul says, treat your slaves in the same way, what does he mean? What's the same way, and why does it say, masters free your slaves? He wanted to treat everybody the same as an equal. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to go back to the previous paragraph in which the slaves are told to serve their masters wholeheartedly, just as you would obey Christ. Here the masters are told that they also serve Christ, so they need to treat their slaves as if you were serving the Lord. So we treat others as we would want to be treated and uh, treat others just like we would treat God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we would read uh, verses 5 through 8 again. What do you see here? What reword should slaves be most concerned about? In Ephesians 5, 1 through 8. Uh, just uh, verses five, five through eight. Okay. I believe it's for like this six, I think he. Oh, six. Ephesians six. Yeah. Five through eight. Okay. Bonds, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, <laughs> with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as as to Christ, not with eye services as men pleases, but as bond servants. Of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with the with good <clears throat> will doing service as the Lord, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You want me to keep going? No, that's no. It. So, what reword should slaves be most concerned about here? What reward? Yeah. Oh. The reward comes from from God. From obedience yeah. and from, from God. God. Yeah. Just keep being obedient. obedient. Yeah. Obey, right. Obey keep being obedient. obedient. Yeah. Obey. When your heart obey Christ, obey them. Mm-hmm. So then the reward is from God, mm-hmm. not from man. And of course. Who is your ultimate master? We already know Christ is our, right. our ultimate master. So, uh, Now do you think it's reasonable to apply these verses to modern employment? Is, it the, is, is this essential the same way as a boss-employee relationship? I think that a boss should treat all of his, uh, his employees the same. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes, that's according to what it is. My mother used to always tell us as children, 
I can't treat you all the same, but I could treat everybody right, which is fairly. Right. Because each person has a different need. You know, Derek may say, uh, can I borrow $50 from you until next week? And Miss Pammy may say, could I borrow $40 from you until next week? Well, hers is a different price from his, but I could treat everybody right, but I couldn't treat them the same because they have a, you may want to borrow a pair of shoes, in other words, and them $50. You have a different need, but I could treat you both the same with, with that same love. Sure, Derek, sure, Miss Pammy, you know, so, yeah. And then, you, you know, like he said in his example, that your boss might be a jerk, uh -huh. <laughs> and and but you still have to perform your duties, right. uh, not toward your boss, but as you're working for God. Right. So you perform it with an excellent of excellence because you're working for God, not your duty, not right. toward man. Because the Bible says to submit to the authorities appointed over you mm -hmm. because they are ordained by God. Uh, God knows what your boss is doing yeah. uh, because God appointed him there. So uh, he has to... Uh, be surrender unto God what he's doing mm -hmm. and you have to surrender unto God for what you are responsible for so we we have to remember we're not working for him we're working for God mm -hmm. so we have to regardless of how he treat this person or how he treats that person we have to remember who we working for so we have to act accordingly yeah and does this affect the way that we work Sure it does. Yeah. Yes, it again. does. Does it affect the way we work? Yes, it does. It's, a lot of times it yeah. does. I, yeah, I think it yeah. matters. Yeah. It, it, it will, yeah. but yeah. when you know you have to do... I'm going to use this for an example. I, I've been married. He's my third husband. My first husband died. He was a pastor also, but he was one of the meanest people I've ever known. He used to beat me up just for waking up in the morning and mistreat Carrington and Nakia also. But I had people that would tell me, girl, you are a better woman than I am because I don't see how you could still cook for that man and clean his house and wash his clothes and do this. I said, I'll do that unto the Lord. It's not that him in the flesh as a fleshly man, even that he even deserves it. But the Bible tells me that I must do it. And I, Derek can be telling my sister that all the time. That a lot of times you're going to have to do things that you don't even want, want to do. Yeah. But you just keep on praying and say, God, give me the strength. And we, we have to do it. So that's the same thing with a job. If you need your job and you got to pay those bills, you don't have to like it. But you're going to do it, you know. Right. <laughs> Definitely been in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Her, uh. Father used to abuse me the whole time we were together too, mm -hmm. and I had I was cleaning for this one cleaning company called Molly Made out in Lansing, mm -hmm. and that boss was just abusive, not physically but mentally to me. Like I got mental issues and whatnot, mm -hmm. and she was trying to use those against me. Mm -hmm. But like I always tried to fight through it and get my stuff done, not for her, but yeah. you know. Yeah, and you just keep holding on to God for your strength, honey, because Satan, like I, I tell my daughter, Satan, is he, he likes to control you. Mm -hmm. And even if it's with your mind, people will give you the title as being crazy, like people try to used to try to do my daughter. 
there's nothing wrong with you. You just keep that relationship to God and know where your strength is coming from. And Satan going to have to go. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad you told me that because I'm, I'm going to be praying for you in that way. Satan will lose you. He won't win. He and, already a defeated for Whitney. And that's, that's where right. the battle is. Yeah. The battle is in the mind. Mm -hmm. So it, as long as you know that, the Bible tells us we have to renew our minds. Mm -hmm. We have to give our minds uh, a, a, a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things, a new way of going about things. And we do that by the word of God. Every time we get into a new situation, every time we come up with a, with a problem, every time we come into a situation, we need to go to the word of God. We need to go into it a, a new way of doing things. Because for me, it, it, a, a lot of times, it, my old way of doing things would always get me in trouble. Because the first thing I wanted to do was to split the top of your head like a pig feet. <laughs> and then I know I, I get to the root of the problem. See, if I laid your head open like a pig feet, I know I can take out all that mess that you was trying to do to me. Right. See, but I know that's not of God. Mm -hmm. So now I have to go to the word of God. When 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 things are not going the way I suspect them to go, things are not going the way I want them to go, things are not doing Because I know it, it's the enemy that's trying to get me to do these things. So I have to stop. Pause, pray, and then listen for God. And then react. Stop, pause, pray, listen for God, then react. See, the enemy wants you to react, move, follow him, and then be destroyed. God wants you to stop, pause, pray, and listen. So, you know, if you practice those principles, it'd be a big change in your life. Just practice those principles. Stop, pause, pray, and then listen for God. You'd be surprised that big change will come into your life. Because because you, you you're waiting on God to lead you, and not your emotions, not your feelings, not your flesh, but you're waiting on God to lead you. And it's gonna be a lot of things you're gonna have to change in your life. Sometimes your people you call your friends could be a bad oh, influence. Yeah. The yes. things that you used to do, realize you don't do it no more. Once you repent. That's being cleansed. You have yep. to repent from the heart. A sinner's prayers are not going to send you to heaven. Trust in uh, Christ is the only thing to send you to heaven. But when you repent, you have to repent and make sure that heart is cleansed because that's to turn away from. You don't yeah. go back. You, you're a new man in Christ now. You're yeah. a brand new woman, so don't go back to those old ways. Old Choose carefully your away. friends because you're young. And I've been there. Choose yeah. carefully your yeah. friends. Old <laughs> things are passed away. All things become new. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, old things are passed away. Some things you just got to throw away. Some people you got to throw away. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just got to put them away. And 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 a lot of times you got to be disciplined. Oh, come on. 
you 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 have to be disciplined to yourself. You 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 have to tell yourself no. I, I'm not gonna do that. Regardless of how bad your flesh wants to do it, I'm not gonna do that. The word of God says no, don't do it. As my wife always say, if the Bible say don't do it, don't do it. It's just that simple. Just don't do it. As bad as we want to do it, just don't do it. And the more you practice that, the easier it gets. Because the, the Bible says the, if you draw to him, the closer he draws to you. And a lot of people miss what that means. That means the more you resist the enemy, the further he flees away. So when you start drawing to God, you're pulling away from the enemy, and God is pulling toward you. So you get stronger. Yeah. You, I'm going to give you my phone number. When you go back, call me. We're we going to pray together. Whenever you feel that temptation or whatever coming over you, call me. We're we going to pray together okay all right it's just like having this room full of weights now you can come in this room a hundred times that don't mean you're gonna get stronger because you got all them weights in the room until you start picking up them weights and working out with them then you'll build your muscles you don't build your muscles until you start picking up the weights and in other words you're not going to get stronger until you start working out with the Word of God. And when you start working out with the Word of God, fighting with the Word of God, putting on the whole arm of God and working out with it and against the enemy, then you'll get stronger. Then you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But until you do that, just coming into the... Into the building of the church means nothing. You have to fight. This is a warfare. This is a warfare. And the fight is up here. It's up here. I'm sorry about that. Good. Uh, in what ways could parents be exasperating or provoking their children? According to this verse, what should parents do instead? <laughs> it is very easy for parents to provoke their children. This is a very easy thing, and, and a lot of parents do it and don't know they're doing it. Then some parents do it on purpose. Can you draw my name? And first. And, and and to provoke your child, uh, uh, because you, you know the most common way to do it is because we say that I'm the parent, and and and, and you do as I say, and, and and I'm just gonna do it to you because I can, and and you just take it. <laughs> Next question goes along with that. Do you think it's significant that this is addressed to the fathers and not parents in general? Does Paul's uh, exhortation reflect only the culture at the time, or are fathers generally more likely to grow up their kids? 
Well, because of the family structure being set up as a heavenly bound, it's set up for the fathers because the fathers was normally the head of the household, and they exacted the punishment of the household. So the fathers was the one that was always putting down the punishment. And most, at, at that time, no, not only was it culturally based for back then, it, it was right now, today, it was always, it's set up because the father was, as it is today, short-tempered, always wanted to set his authority in, 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 in route, regardless of how the child feels or whatsoever. Always want to put his manhood on the line. Lack of sensitivity. Lack of empathy. Lack of understanding. No wisdom involved in this. And God is all of that. He's, he's wisdom. He's understanding. He's loving. He's caring. He's kind. He has all of these traits as a good father. Where men today throw yes, these traits and, away. And, and pajamas. We don't want to be that. A man not supposed to cry. That's the first thing you taught as a man. Don't cry. That's the first thing we tell our sons. A man ain't supposed to cry. <laughs> a man ain't supposed to be sensitive. Let me move to the children. According to verses 1 through 3, why should children obey um, their parents? Bailey Joe? Okay. Now we know for the sister. Show me how to make the answer for that? I think that's the dad. I think that's the dad. Okay. Let's see what 1 through 3 says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a life, enjoy long life on earth. In other words, if you're good, your life will be good. Your life will, it won't be short, and, and, right. and it's because it's the right thing to do. Right. Your parents are your parents, just like adults. I, I've always told my children, regardless of how you feel about it, you don't stand up and argue with adults. <laughs> you don't battle without with adults. If it's something somebody doing unfairly or if it's something to hurt Why you, no? then you come to me because I am the parent, you know. But other than that, it's because this is something that God want, wants them to do. You, you're supposed to do it. Yeah, so... You listen to the news today and you see a lot of uh, killing and stuff like that on the news. And then you see the parent out there crying and stuff. My child has died, but you don't see the backstory of how this child was living with his mother or father, uh, you know. A lot of them was disrespectful to their parents and stuff. And and they don't believe that the word of God is true. A lot of people don't believe that the word of God is true. My wife always says that a lot of people believe that the word of God is a fairy tale. 
They don't believe that the word of God has any validity to it whatsoever. But God's word is true, whether you believe it or not. God's word is true. You disrespectful to your parents, your days will be shortened. It's just that simple. Like I tell my son, you I, I don't know if you met my son, if he's been his character. Yeah, they were here one day. Because she but was I tell him now, he's 33 years old. And I tell him, I don't have no problems with Nike, but I tell my son right now, I, I'm not going to play with you. you. I know you're a man and you're a grown man, but boy, you come in here and talk to me like that. You understand what I'm saying? I said, he'll tell you, I will lay you flat. My husband don't have to move his feet. I'm going to lay you flat. Mm. Excuse me. Excuse me. Mm. Um, I was trying to get to the spring stand and I hurt my cheek. Uh, you hurt your yeah, cheek. always oh. lead to a longer life. I was trying to get to the oh. What does this promise really I say? Does it feel better? It did. No, it still don't feel better. I said this one has to have a. The promise baby. is offering baby. access baby to God's truth. It's, 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 it's what it's doing. God has given a foundation from heaven. And the promise is saying, listen, here is my truth. You can either do it this way or do it your way. Now, doing it my way... You have access to this. Going against my way, you're going to have access to my wrath. That's what it's telling you. You can either have access to my truth or have access to my wrath. Now, a lot of people don't understand what it means about your life can be shortened. Your life can be shortened in many ways. It don't mean you necessarily going to die. It can mean that you necessarily won't make your potential in Christ Jesus. Because you can be cut down in a nursing home. You can be cut down being paralyzed. You can be cut down from not having what, what you could have had in Christ Jesus. Right, you can be cut down and lose all that you... You could become a vagabond in the land. Mm -hmm. That's right. You can... You can... You can not have your genealogy to go forward in the land. You, you can be without... You can be childless. And, and you'll, you You can be stopped right then and there. No further... That can Why? you go? You're not supposed to write. There's many a ways that God can punish you for you mm -hmm. not being honoring your parents. Okay, you you can go through a whole lot of struggles because you didn't honor your mother and father. There's a whole lot of things can happen to you. A lot of pain you can go through. There's a whole lot of things you can go through. Sometimes you can even be locked up behind prison walls for the rest of your life. You can make it feel like you dead. I love you most. There's a whole lot of things can happen to you. 
a whole lot of things. So uh, uh, when, when, when he wrote those words, he wasn't just speaking of one type of death. There's many ways you can die. Many ways you can die. Again, we have had good discussion today. Yeah, and I'll close with this phrase from J.D. And it says that what you want me to make? As Paul nears the end of Ephesians, he's trying to get Ephesians to see that in all their relationships, even the most normal ones, they are serving God. Each of our relationships is a laboratory to teach us how to be like God and to allow us to put him on display for the world. I've heard it said that you can measure the progress of your Christian life by how well you relate to your parents, your spouse, or your employer. The truest measure of your Christianity is how you are in normal relationships. How are you at home? That was close to prayer. Okay. Father God, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the gathering of your people here today. And Lord, we thank you for you being present here today. And Lord, as we go forth in your service today, we're just asking that you bless your oracle today, Lord. We ask you that you be present in your service today, Lord, as we worship you. And Father God, we're asking that not only that we be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.